Good morning, everyone. What a powerful moment of worship together. Praise his name. Amen. Those who are gathering online as well as those in the room today, I want to welcome you. We're in Hebrews, and if you find the chapter number five today is where we're at in Hebrews chapter number five and chapter number six. I'm preaching this morning uh, from that great text, and so I encourage you to open it and find it along with me. I'm asking you, as you're finding it, to remember just a couple of things I want to remind you. Uh, First of all, the memorial service for Bonnie Glasscock will be on Saturday, and so uh, uh, that will be here at the church. Keep praying for Dana Workman and her family, and uh, Dana's dad passed this week, and pray for her mother, Carol, and lift them before the Lord, and I know that the Workman family would be so grateful and thankful for your prayers. Amen? Amen. And then uh, today, I'll be leaving uh, this morning to go to the Southern Baptist Convention, and so you can pray for us as we're there trying to discern the Lord's will and and uh, make decisions um, in regard to our convention, and there's many important decisions that we're facing. And so uh, I covet and appreciate your prayers while we're gone. I'm preaching this service live. The next service is getting the recorded version of this sermon, all right? And so, uh, but pray for us as we're, we're gone. Now, if you look with me to... Hebrews chapter number 5. It's a very important text that I've selected today that's a part of our reading. It's a text that's had some various interpretation and some controversies through the ages about some of the this passage of Scripture. It includes a great warning about falling away. And so today I thought it was important for us to look at this text together And it is a warning and also an encouragement. So if you find with me, chapter number 5, beginning with verse 11. We have a great deal to say about this. And it's difficult to explain since you've become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. For it is impossible 
to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who've fallen away. This is because to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it, and that produces vegetation useful to those for whom it's cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it's worthless and about to be cursed, and at the end, will be burned. Even though we're speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident of things that are better that pertain to salvation. Amen. Father in heaven, we ask that you speak to our hearts today through this passage of scripture. And Father, that we indeed we will receive it soberly and we will receive it seriously and we will receive it and be warmed and encouraged in our hearts. Father, I pray that today we would set aside the many things that want to distract us and today would focus to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you believe that God's got a good word for your heart to, for you today? Amen. Tell your neighbor, God's got a good word for you. He does. He has a good word for you. You know, this passage of scripture we're looking at today addresses some problems in the church. And the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrew Christians. We're not sure who the author is. Many have thought for all, that it might be the Apostle Paul. But it seems like the style of the Greek and the formation of argument doesn't seem to fit exactly Paul. Others have thought maybe it was Paul, but actually Paul's thoughts, but Luke wrote it. Others have thought maybe Apollos wrote this, and because it seems to have Alexandrian influence. Others have wondered that, uh, about whether it might be that Prisca and Aquila wrote this great passage. We're, we really don't know. It's speculation, because we're not told who. But one thing we know for certain, the Holy Spirit authored this book, and he speaks to us through this book in the Bible. And so it deals with issues in the church. It exalts who Christ is. It talks about Jesus being our high priest. And that talks about in these better than passages. He's better than the prophets, Jesus. He's better than the angels, Jesus. He's better than Moses, Jesus. He's better than Aaron and the priesthood, Jesus. He's better than the Levitical priest. He's better than Joshua. He's superior in his sacrifice, superior to the tabernacle or temple, superior in all covenants and promises. He is the superior high priest. 
and our King and our Savior. Amen? And we need to have our focus and fix our eyes on him because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. You know, I've noticed this. When I get my eyes on people, people always fail. Amen. And I'm always disappointed. But if I keep my eyes on Jesus, I'm never disappointed. Amen. Amen. Well, there's different problems that come into the church, and these letters address some of those problems in the early church. No church is without problems. I hear people say sometimes, I wish we lived back in the New Testament days where there were no problems in the church. Why do you think all these letters are written? To address many of those problems. When you read the book of Acts, you can't help but see problems soon existed in the early church. And so if you're looking for a church with no problems, you might want to stop looking. If you think Bethel is a church without problems, you're still visiting. <laughs> Bethel's not perfect either. And if you're looking for a perfect church, if you happen to find it, don't join it. You'll ruin it. Churches aren't problem-free because it's made up of people, even born-again people. And we're all messed up. That's why we need a Savior. Amen? And so you can tell your neighbor you're messed up, <laughs> if you dare. We all fail. We all falter. We all make mistakes. There's none of us exempt from sin. None of us have fully arrived. In the early church, post-Pentecost, there was trouble in the fellowship with immaturity. It didn't take long before hurt feelings arise, and there's some that feel like they're being overlooked. The early deacons come to help deal with this problem in the church. Problems with jealousy and envy, lying to the Holy Spirit. Those who pretend to be genuine believers but are not. Problems with insecurity, legalism, and grace. And so here in this passage of Scripture, the author of Hebrews is helping us with a problem that plagues the early church, but also the, our church today. And the first problem, if you're writing it down or taking notes today, is the problem of immaturity. Notice in chapter 5, verse number 11, he says, I've got a great deal to say about this. It's difficult to explain since you've become too lazy to understand. That sounds a little blunt, doesn't it? Well, that's how it's translated in the CSV. The New American Standard Bible says, you've become dull in your hearing. Well, by dull, it means your hearing, that the word dull, it's the only time used here in the New Testament. It, it means sluggish, lethargic in your hearing. You're no longer focused to hear. It's, he's not saying you're stupid. You're not stupid. You're not deficient intellectually to hear and to understand. But you've, you're, you're listening. You've become like a slug in your listening. 
You're not listening. You're not paying attention. You've become lazy. We live in a distracted culture when it comes to listening. We all have this ADD. We are always on our phones, always swiping, always looking, always thinking about something else. Not listening. Christy sometimes says, you're not listening to me. Well, we won't go too deeply into that this morning. I'll say one of the things that Christy carries with her every service is a notebook, a journal. She more as diligently as anybody I know takes notes throughout the sermon. She has filled notebooks of sermons, mostly mine. That can come back to haunt you if you're the preacher and you live in the house. In the 1800s, when there was a great awakening happening in England, one of the courses that was most frequently taught in churches was shorthand. People were so hungry to take notes on the sermon that they wanted to learn to write in shorthand so they could take better notes. Wow. How are you listening? Are you listening closely to what God has to say to you? Have you become dull in your hearing? That's a sign of immaturity. In Matthew's gospel, chapter number 13, Matthew chapter 13, listen to Jesus' words. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And he will have more than enough, but whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from me, from him. Isaiah's prophecy, verse 14, is fulfilled in them, which says, You will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with your ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn back, and I would heal them. There becomes in us a dullness of hearing what God has said. We're so consumed with ourselves, and that's a sign of immaturity. We're not interested to hear what God has to say, we're interested in our own agenda. Jesus said to some of the Jewish leaders, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. There's a dullness, there's a closeness 
the hearing God's word. This is a sign of spiritual immaturity when I don't really care to hear what God has to say to me. Secondly, delayed development. If you look with me into the Hebrews passage again, he says, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. He says your development is delayed. He says it's so delayed we've got to go back and teach you again the ABCs of Christianity, the most basic elements of the faith. You're not growing in your faith. You've regressed in your faith, and you've become delayed in your development. Now, we, we live in a, a time in, that's very fun in our lives, but also sad in our lives. We're celebrating the development as we're watching, as our children are, have, are growing up and have married, and now they're having children and watching our grandchildren grow and develop. It is so much fun to watch them develop and grow and, and learn and, and reason and talk and engage us. And it's, it's just so much fun to watch them in their development as they learn and grow and, and begin to go to school and play sports and and, 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 and at different stages of growth and development. But one of the saddest things is if that child ceases to develop toward maturity. We're kind of experiencing that in our own home at the same time. With aging parents, particularly one of our parents, suffering from dementia, Alzheimer's, a man who once was able to lead a multi-million dollar organization, now not sure where he is, not sure how to walk, and cannot really feed or care for himself. And he no longer has the hope of getting stronger, but only weaker. It's a sadness. You understand. But something even sadder, I think, is when a people are supposed to come to know Jesus Christ personally and been born again and growing in their faith and a hunger and a desire to hear what God has to say and a desire to walk with Him and to know Him and to be transformed by Him, becoming lethargic and lazy and not hearing God's Word and wanting to go back and live more like the world. And there's something dangerous about that and deeply troubling and sad. He says it's humiliating. You become like babies again. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote something similar. In 1 Corinthians, in chapter number 3, Listen to the words of Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse number 1. 
For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, carnal, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you're not yet ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready because you're still worldly. He's chastising him here. He's getting on to them. You're still worldly. There's envy and strife among you. Are you not worldly, behaving like humans? For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, another Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? Aren't you acting infantile? Men of the flesh, babes, I can't even give you meat to eat, but I have to give you milk again. How humiliating it is. The author of Hebrews is saying something very simple. He said, you ought to be a teacher, but now you need the basic principles, the ABCs of God's revelation. You need milk, not solid food. He said, you've gone back to needing milk. How humiliating. I don't think we can really get this into our mind, what he's saying here. He's saying, you ought to be adults and teachers, but now I look out and you're wearing diapers. And you're sucking on baby bottles and looking for mama to nurse you. And you're crying like a baby for your mama rather than growing in your faith for God. And this is the problem. He said, by now you ought to be a teacher. You should have been be developing. You say the author of Hebrews is taking them on, isn't it? He says, not only that, you're infantile in your appetite. You want this milk. You want the ABCs. Not only that, not only you're infantile in your appetite, this is part of the, the problem with immaturity. You're elementary in your knowledge. Notice in Chapter number 6, beginning with verse 1. Let's leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity. What are some of the elementary things? Not laying again a foundation. Not having to go back and teach again about the most elementary things. About repentance. About faith in God. About teaching on ritual washings, baptism. About church leadership about the laying on of hands, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the judgment that we all have to give an account of our lives to God. He said, these are the most fundamental, elemental things about the gospel, and I've got to go back and relay the whole foundation about that, and we can't move on to greater and more important things about living out the Christian life, about faith, about the gifts of the Spirit, about the fruit of the Spirit, about holy living, about praying in faith, about spiritual warfare, about spiritual discernment. But instead, we got to go back and we got to do hand-holding and teach the ABCs and you want nursed again. Psalm 92 verse 12 says, The righteous thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. Practice these things. Be committed to them. 
that your progress, your maturity, might be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things. For in doing this, you'll save yourself and your hearers. Paul's writing to young Timothy, and he says, listen, watch me, Tim. Imitate me, Tim. And then, Tim, you lead your life so that you can say to others, watch me, imitate me, love like me. Can you tell your children that? Can you look at your children and your grandchildren and say, I want you to live out this Christian life. Watch how I'm living. You watch how Papa lives. Live like me. Watch how your mommy lives. Live like her. Because she's following Jesus. Man. But the problem is, so much of the church is filled with immaturity, Amen. not maturity. It shows itself in envying, backfighting, gossiping, tattling. It shows itself in not being about the kingdom, not about serving, not about giving, not about winning souls, but all about my preferences and what I think. Amen. And we get together in our little groups and we assassinate one another. This is not maturity. It's immaturity. Second thing. He gives us a warning about apostasy. Now look with me in chapter 6, verse 4. For it's impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the power of the coming age, and who fallen away. Now this text has been debated for centuries. And what does it mean? Apostasy means the leaving of the faith. It says they once were enlightened. They had tasted the heavenly gift. They shared the Holy Spirit. They were partakers in the good things of God. But now they've fallen away in verse number 6. Falling away from the faith. Falling away from these things that they knew. Who's he talking about here? Well, some would say maybe this is a theoretical case. Others would say it's a real case. You can be saved and then lost again. Or some would say it's a strong warning. And I believe that's the case. But it is a strong warning. Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, there is the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is heaven. And not everybody that comes close has really come to know the salvation of the Lord. Amen. I think this reminds me somewhat in this text of the children of Israel. In this covenant community, in the children of Israel, the, in Egypt, many participated in the Passover. Many 
were in households where the blood was over the doorpost. Many sat around with their sandals shod, ready to leave, and eating unleavened bread and the roasted lamb. Many crossed over the Red Sea. Many were led by the pillar of cloud. Many, all, ate the manna that was given by God. They heard the voice of God at Mount Sinai. But not all believed. Some hardened their heart toward God, refused to believe God, disobeyed God, and they died in the desert and did not go into the promised land. Jesus talked about the different types of soils. And the good seed falls among thorns and the cares of this world chokes it out. And the purpose of this warning passage is to not make you fearful about losing your salvation. It is, this, it is warning us that this is serious business. And you can grow up in the church and you can know about the things in the church and you might even have been baptized in the church and your name might be written on the roll of a church, but that doesn't mean that you're going to go to heaven. Amen. You've got to have a personal living relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. And you can have taken communion and you can have tasted the good things and you might have seen God answer prayer and you might have been to worship and I tell you, there's a great black hole where people grow up in the church and then they leave the church when they're teenagers or young adults and never darken the door again. And there are people that come and then fade away and act like unbelievers. I'm telling you, there's no security when we do that. And I'm not saying your security is based on your works. It's not. It's based in Jesus Christ and his work for us. But my dear friends, if you're born again, it ought to show itself in fruit. Amen. This is the argument here. Look, for the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it produces vegetation useful to those for whom it's cultivated receives a blessing from God. What he's saying is when the rain falls on good seed, it ought to bear fruit. Amen. But if it bears thorns and thistles, there's something wrong in the heart. Just imagine a person who says, yes, I seems to say yes to Christ. Seems to be very attentive. Attends church regularly. Gets baptized. Joins the church. And may even teach. But later becomes disenchanted later falls back in love with the world, later leaves the fellowship of the church, and then later says, I no longer believe in Jesus Christ. I no longer believe the gospel. I no longer believe it's true. I want nothing to do with Jesus Christ or his church at all. Is that person saved? No. Thank you, John. 
But not only are they not saved, there is no recourse. Because if you have looked at Jesus and said, I want, do not want him, there remains no sacrifice for you. And you have effectively re-crucified the Son of God. Yes, Lord. Amen. But I'm telling you, one thing that this passage does teach is you don't get saved, then lost, then saved, then lost, then saved again. I used to have that kind of whirlwind emotional experience in my life. That's not what is taught here. What's taught, and he, taught here is if you've looked squarely at Christ and you say no to him, you have no other hope and there's no way for you to be saved. It's impossible to renew to repentance. You can't, that's not the way it works. When I was a little boy, I was scared to death all the time about losing my salvation. I'd go to bed at night, I'd think, I'd pray. I thought about all the shameful things I'd thought in my mind. I thought about all the ways that my mom drove me crazy and how I was disobedient to my parents, about my anger toward others. Then later, about the lust of my flesh as a young boy, my finding my own identity and trying to figure out who I was and how to live right and how to live with my failures, confronted with my own sin and thinking, man, I must be lost. If I had to get saved, I'd, I'd, I was trying to get saved every night before I went to bed. It's a terrible way to live. It's a terrible theology. I'm telling you what, whenever you embrace Jesus Christ and he becomes the Lord and master of your life and he saves you, he changes your life. Yes, he does. You're never, ever, ever the same. First John 2, 19 says they went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be clear that none of them belonged to us. In 1 John chapter number 5 and verse number 9. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it's God's testimony that is given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. And the one who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he's not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. And the one who has the Son has the life. And the one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Amen. Finally, in this sixth chapter, I want us to think about the assurance of hope. In chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Even though we're speaking this way, dearly loved friends, listen, my dear friends, my brothers and sisters, listen, in your case, we're confident of things that are better pertaining to salvation. Wow. He says, I have a confident assurance about you and your faith and your relationship with God in Christ. He said, first of all, because of the fruit of your love. Notice in verse number 9, he says, uh, in verse number 10, For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continually, continuing to serve them. He says, you know what? First of all, this is what I have absolute confidence that you are God's children and you're going to heaven and that you're saved. Number one, because of the love that's in you. I see evident manifestation of the love of God in you. And here's what I know. We love because he first loved us. And the only capacity that I have to really love and serve other people is Jesus living in me. My salvation is not based on me and my good works, but my relationship with Jesus and his life in me manifests good works in my life. And that gives me confidence, and that gave Paul confidence, because he saw the love of Christ in them. He saw the fruit of the Spirit in them. Love, joy, peace, patience. He saw in them the love for God and a love for one another. And Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says. I see the fruit of love in your life. Second thing that makes me confident about you is the unalterable promise of God. Notice in verse number 13, Notice from verse number 13, he said, God made a promise to Abraham since he had no one greater to swear by. He swore by himself. He said, God made a promise to Abraham. And whenever you make a promise, make a swear, you do it by somebody greater than you. But there's nobody greater than God. So God made the promise with his own self. God does not take back his promises. Amen. And so notice he chose Abraham and Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness and God made a promise and he swore by himself and that promise cannot change. And my friends, here's the promise God's made to you that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Amen. That's exactly right. Secondly, not only is it an unalterable promise, but the th thirdly, not only the fruit of your love, an unalterable promise, but the third thing is the character of God himself. Yes, Lord. Now notice with me, chapter 6, verse number 18. 
so that through two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. Get that down big, bold, strong in your mind. God cannot lie. Tell your neighbor, God never lies. If God said it, it's true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not what? Perish, Perish but have what? Everlasting life. His promise is true, and he cannot lie. John 5, 24 says, But I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. That promise you can take to the bank. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Fourthly, because of the strength of our refuge. We have confident assurance because of the strength of our refuge. Notice in chapter 6, verse 18, the second half of the verse. We have fled for refuge. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. I want to ask you, how strong is the refuge that you have gone to? In the back of my parents' yard is a storm shelter. Do anybody know what that is? My mama scared the death of tornadoes. She was in a tornado in 1957 in Carbondale, Illinois. There was a lot written about that terrible tornado that went through all part of southern Illinois and even St. Louis. Wiped out hundreds of homes. They lived in a mobile home. Threw that trailer up in the air. Knocked it around in trees. And fell and landed on a light pole. The little trailer that they lived in. My mom and dad. They were just new married young couple with a small little baby. And there was a picture of them underneath that trailer holding their little baby. God protected them. That trailer was not a very good refuge. But there is a refuge. There's a strong refuge. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Amen. And the righteous run into it. Amen. And they are safe. Yes, God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in time of trouble. And if God be for us, who can be against us? And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. And my Father who's given to them to me is greater than all. And there's no one evil, even able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and our, my Father are one. I'm telling you, 
I have confidence because of the strength of the refuge that I fled to. Amen? And finally, because of the unending priesthood of Jesus. That's why I have confidence. Notice verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters, enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf in the Holy of Holies, in a tabernacle not made with hands. And he has become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Behind the veil in the holy of holies, eternal in the heavens, stands my high priest, and my name and yours is written on his heart and his shoulders and his words, and he ever makes intercession for us Forever and ever and ever. He never tires. He never wearies. He never sleeps. He never goes on vacation. He stands forever interceding for you. Amen. Woo! So my security is found in him. Can somebody say praise the Lord? What a warning, but what an encouragement is found in this great text. Now my question to you, have you put your faith and trust in him alone? Are you this day trusting Jesus as your Savior? Do you know him? If not, today give your heart and life to him. Father in heaven, have your way in our hearts, our lives. I thank you for this great text. I thank you for the great warning. I thank you for the great encouragement. I thank you for the great exhortation to grow and develop and mature in our faith. The way great warning about just pretending and, and then turning away and rejecting Christ. Then, Father, the great assurance that you hold us, that you save us, and that you keep us secure. Oh, Father, if there's somebody that doesn't know you, I pray that they would turn from sin and trust in Christ today and come to know life eternal. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Stand with me, would you?